You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Hiatus Rat exploits business-grade routers. International law enforcement action against the doppelpamer gang. Ransomware hits a Barcelona hospital. Productivity suites are increasingly attractive as fishing grounds. Transparent tribes romance scams. Cyber attacks briefly disrupt Russian websites and media outlets. Ashley Leonard, CEO of Sixth Sense, sits down with Dave Bittner to discuss their Advancing Zero Trust Priorities report. Joe Kerrigan on a warning from Microsoft about a surge in token theft. And trolling for disinformation raw material. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Trey Hester, filling in for Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. Lumen's Black Lotus Lab report identifies a campaign they're calling Hiatus, which they characterize as a complex, never-before-seen campaign which has been targeting business-grade routers since June of 2022. The malware converts compromised devices into covert proxies. Black Lotus says, quote, The packet capture binary enables the actor to monitor router traffic on ports associated with email and file transfer communications, end quote. Most of the victims so far have been identified in Europe and Latin America, and the researchers, seeing no significant overlap with other threat activities, see hiatus rat as a unique cluster. It constitutes both a staging mechanism for subsequent attacks and threat to information transiting affected routers. Bleeping Computer reports that two alleged members of the Doppelpamer group were targeted in a joint effort between German and Ukraine law enforcement. Europol, the FBI, and Dutch police also saw involvement. Europol said in a press release that officers in Germany on February 28th raided the house of a German national, who is believed to have played a major role in the Doppelpamer ransomware group. Ukrainian police, despite the ongoing war with Russia, were able to interrogate an alleged member of the gang apprehended in Ukraine. Law enforcement is actively seeking out three more actors that they believe were the core members of the gang. Eleven suspects altogether have been identified. A ransomware attack against the hospital clinic of Barcelona on Sunday has severely disrupted the clinic's computer operations, as well as forcing cancellations of 150 non-urgent operations 
and as many as 3,000 patient checkups the AP reported yesterday. The attack has been attributed to the Ransom House Gang, a group working from the outskirts of Spain. Security Week wrote that Sunday's attack on the center crippled computer systems at the facilities, laboratories, emergency room, and pharmacy at three main centers and several external clinics. Thus, its effects weren't confined to a single location. Approximately 150 elective surgeries, 500 extractions, and around 300 consultations were unscheduled, according to Euroweekly News. Urgent cases are being redirected to other locations. Hospital Director Anthony Castells said in a Monday news conference, quote, We can't make any predictions as to when the system will be back up to normal. Recovery is in process. End quote. Vade has published its annual Fisher's Favorites report for 2022, finding that Facebook, Microsoft, and Google were the most impersonated brands last year. Notably, Google, which placed 28th in 2021, jumped to the third most impersonated brand last year, following a 1,560% increase in Google-themed phishing pages. The researchers attributed this increase to the growing popularity of Google Workspace, and Vade predicts that Microsoft and Google will be the two most widely impersonated brands in 2023 due to the prevalence of their productivity suites. Vade also observed significant increases in phishing attacks across nearly every industry sector. Virtual swallows and digital ravens are seeking to enmesh targets using bogus romantic come-ons. ESET reported this morning that Transparent Tribe, a group believed to operate from Pakistan, is active and apparently targeting, for the most part, Indian and Pakistani military and government officials with romance scams. The victims are convinced to download compromised versions of secure messaging apps to their Android phones. These apps will install the Caprarat backdoor, which is designed to exfiltrate information. ESET believes the attackers begin by contacting their victims via an email address or phone number and then luring them into a romance scam. After the victims have downloaded the Trojanized messaging app, the attackers continue communications with them over the messaging app while stealing information in the background. The malicious apps used poor operational security, and the researchers were able to locate over 150 victims. Most of Transparent Tribe's efforts may have gone into India and Pakistan, but infestations were also found in Egypt, Russia, and Oman. Anonymous claims to have resumed hacktivist actions against Russia, saying last Thursday that they were, quote, currently involved in operations against the Russian Federation, end quote. The Daily Beast reports that the Russian government site Kremlin.ru and five other government sites were down briefly on Monday. Kremlin.ru is back up now. The action appears to have been the now customary nuance-level hacktivist work of distributed denial of service and website defacements. Meanwhile, TASS is authorized to disclose that a member of Russia's delegation to the United Nations has denounced what she characterizes as the West's use of Ukraine as a testing ground for cyber warfare. Proofpoint this morning described an ongoing campaign by a Russian-aligned threat actor, TA-499, also known as Vovin or Lexus, to engage Western political and business leaders in voice or video calls. The calls are recorded, and they appear designed to gather raw material that can be used to produce content that would tend to discredit those who have publicly supported Ukraine. Proofpoint summarizes, quote, The calls are almost always certainly a pro-Russia propaganda effort designed to create negative political content about those who have spoken out against Russian President Vladimir Putin and, in the last year, opposed Russia's invasion of Ukraine. End quote. Proofpoint goes on to add that if you rashly decide to take one of these calls, quote, TA-499 is not a threat to take lightly due to the damage such propaganda could have on the brand. 
and public perception of those targeted, as well as the perpetuation of disinformation. End quote. Engagement begins with emails inviting a target to join a call. The emails commonly impersonate a Ukrainian ambassador. Should the target agree to the call, TA-499 will use a video deepfake to impersonate a trusted interlocutor. Once the target is induced to make a statement in the Ukrainian interest, the threat actor engages in what Proofpoint calls antics, designed to fluster the target into doing or saying something embarrassing. That embarrassment will then display elsewhere in the interest of the Kremlin. Coming up after the break, Dave Bittner sits down with Ashley Leonard of Sixth Sense to discuss their Advancing Zero Trust Priorities report, and Joe Kerrigan on a warning from Microsoft about a surge in token theft. Stick around. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Ashley Leonard is CEO and co-founder of endpoint security firm SixSense. They recently shared a report titled Advancing Zero Trust Priorities. For details on what they found, I spoke with Ashley Leonard. First of all, the fact that um, the, the amount of organizations that are currently evaluating uh, zero trust is, is pretty interesting. Our, our results showed that 62% of uh, organizations are currently evaluating or have um, implemented a zero trust solution. The amount that actually have implemented it so far, though, is pretty small. It's only 4.8% of organizations that have actually currently implemented some form of zero trust um, implementation. And why do you suppose that's lagging in that way? I mean, and, and, you know, as, as you say, this is a, certainly a hot topic these days. That's a smaller number than I would have expected. 
Yeah, it surprised me because you you do see it um, so prevalent in the industry news and at trade shows. Um, and I think a lot of it is that there's a lot of complexity around zero trust and and a lot of problems actually understanding really what zero trust is. I, many organizations think that you can just buy a product and you install the, the zero trust product and that will allow you to then have zero trust. And zero trust is really a lot more than that. It's more of a, a mindset. Um, certainly products help. And obviously we're a product vendor or a software vendor. Um, so we can help you along that path. But it's a lot more than uh, than just buying a product to implement a true zero trust methodology. What are your recommendations then? I mean, for folks who have their eye on going down this path, any words of wisdom? Yeah, you know, if, if you kind of look at traditional security, traditional security worked with more of kind of, I like to call it the castle mentality, where you're going to have very high walls and the moat and very limited um, gates that you can enter the building through. And, and that kind of protected your organization in the old days. Now, nowadays, of course, um, those walls have come down. A great example is you know, what recently happened with COVID and employees at home and now uh, you know, those those laptops and devices that were once at home are now walking in through the gates of the castle, get plugged into the corporate network, and now you have a problem. So you kind of have to, first of all, I think, change the mentality of the way that you look at cybersecurity in your organization from being kind of that, that castle mentality to being a zero trust mentality, which is that you kind of have to have the mindset that everything is already breached um, and that you, you want what your job is, is to limit the damage that could happen from uh, a, a device um, that is already potentially breached in the organization. So you kind of start there with that mindset change. What you then do is go ahead and um, uh, you then go ahead and um, need to perform an audit. And you cannot want to order a lot of different things. You want to think about the tools that you're currently using. And that's an important point because many organizations today are not actually at step one when it comes to implementing zero trust. Um, they've often got tools that can already um, uh, be used to help them along their zero trust uh, um, route. Uh, think about the assets that you have. Think about the data, the networks, how they're accessed, how they're secured. So you kind of want to do this audit of your IT infrastructure and then determine your risks. And that's also a different approach, I think, when it comes to zero trust, where traditional security, you typically look at an outside-in approach to security. Uh, you're kind of looking at how an attacker might get into your organization. With zero trust, you start on the inside looking outwards. So you kind of have to change the way you look at, um, at, look at uh, your, your entire infrastructure. Um, and then you, know, you implement the controls um, and uh, requirements that uh, will tighten the security to, to limit access, assuming that everything is untrusted until it's proved to be trusted. Finally, you repeat because it's constantly changing. Uh, that's the that's the I think the other key learning is that um, it, this is an iterative process, um, and you need to just run through the process and get to the end and start again. Because new software is coming in, new ways of accessing data, new data itself, um, new forms of storing data. So it's a constantly iterative process as you implement zero trust policies. You know, there's that old saying that uh, you shouldn't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I'm curious, do, do you think that applies to people who are 
uh, in the midst of their zero trust journey? Yeah, and and I don't think there is going to be perfect. Um, and yeah, yeah, the typically the smartest way to implement zero trust is to smart is to start with kind of the the, the easy wins, um, and and then. You know, you get to the end and then start again and you, you move up uh, to the, the next challenge. So it's, uh, I wouldn't wait. There's not going to be a perfect plan for implementing zero trust. The best thing to do is to, is to get going and, and just keep iterating. What's your message to the folks who are putting off this transition or kicking that can down the road, you know, maybe intimidated by the, the notion of, of the change itself or for other reasons? What do you have to say to them? Well, so we, that's an interesting one as well. So as part of the survey, we actually asked that question. So we asked the question, um, why, if you're not looking at implementing zero trust, why? And the, the kind of top three answers that came back uh, were lack of budget was number one. Um, 41% um, of the respondents that are not implementing uh, zero trust at the moment came back and said the primary reason was lack of budget and funding for a zero trust implementation. So they wanted to do it, but they couldn't. So I would say you know, to that group, hey, this is not something you can put off. Um, the, again, the old security approach of, of the castle walls doesn't work anymore. Behind that was technical challenges. Um, and yes, there are challenges, but there's also an opportunity um, to learn new skills and uh, improve um, your, your skills as an individual if you're implementing zero trust and, and help improve the business's overall security posture. And I would say that um, your level of secu- security compliance and posture actually is, is a business benefit for your organization. Now, we're in the security business and we have to prove compliance um, for many of the customers that we do business with. So it's an advantage the more highly secure we are and it, and it ends up being a differentiator for us versus some of our competitors. Um, and then finally, I would say that the kind of the third the, the third uh, item that came back from our survey regarding why uh, customers don't implement zero trust was just a lack of direction um, from the top. Uh, so it's important, uh, depending on the size of your organization, whether it's your you know, CIO, CISO, or, or CEO, that you're aware of these um, types of initiatives like zero trust and you're making it a priority for your organization to implement. That's Ashley Leonard from Six Sense. The report is titled Advancing Zero Trust Priorities. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He is from Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. So interesting uh, story here from the folks over at eSecurity Planet. This is an article written by Jeff Goldman, uh, and it's titled Microsoft Warns of Surge in Token Theft Bypassing MFA. Can you unpack what's going on here, Joe? Yeah, so um, I'm not sure what, what's going on with the surge. It's, uh, I guess that uh, Microsoft has a team called Detection and Response Team. Yeah. Or they like to call it DART because they also have a cool acronyms department over at Microsoft. Right. Um but they are noticing that there is an increase in these uh, uh, token, what's called token theft. They're describing two different kinds of uh, of token theft in here. The, one is called the adversary in the middle, and the other is called pass the cookie. Okay. So before we get into that, we should understand what a token is. Yeah. Um, 
when you log into a website or a service or something, whatever it is, uh, it's easier to understand with the web. So the web is stateless in that it doesn't, uh, it, the, connect, the, the state doesn't survive from one connection to the next. Mm. So in that connection, your web browser will maintain something called, uh, in, in that connection, I say with quotes because it's actually mimicking a connection. Uh, your web browser will maintain in a, cook, in a set of cookies, and that's why we have cookies, a, something called a session token mm-hmm. uh, that verifies to the server that you are logged in correctly and you are who you say they are. I see. You say you are. Uh, so basically what that means is every time you, lo- every time you go to request something, if you have one of these tokens, you don't have to provide your username and password. So mm. imagine life without the tokens. And I want to submit this form, and the thing says log in. So I go, I have to log in. And then it says, okay, and then I want to click to the next page. I have to log in again. That would be miserable, right? right. right. Uh, <laughs> you wouldn't, it would be unusable. And not only that, but how would you even uh, – there's a whole bunch of different questions that arise. So we just use these tokens as a representation of our session – that really doesn't exist between one request and the next one. Okay. And we kind of build like a human understanding of a session. Uh I'm logged in and then I'm logged out. Okay. Uh, And there's also other services where you, uh, you log in, like let's say for example, remote desktop protocol. Yeah. uh, Where I might, I don't know if that one has a token or not, but I would imagine it does, that there's some token in there that, that lets me, um, lets me authenticate over time. Uh Uh-huh. So what, what's happening here is the, they're, they're talking about two different attacks. One is is pretty simple attack to understand. It's called pass the cookie. Okay. So it involves compromising a user's browser somehow. You see this happening a lot with uh, with plugins mm. um, or with, with HTML. If it can break out, there's a vulnerability that nobody knows about or you're using an unpatched version of your web browser. Uh, somebody might be able to get access to the cookies that are stored for a site. And if they can get access to them, then it's really simple to then just to export them to somebody else. And then they can put that cookie into their web browser mm-hmm. just by using uh, some of the development tools that are included with these web browsers to then represent that they are you. Mm. And the, the server, if the server is not configured to look for things like, hey, this IP address is changed significantly. This person is now looking like they're coming out of uh, New York City, when just two minutes ago they looked like they were coming out of uh, out of California. Okay, right now, that actually may be a valid use case, but I think it's reasonable to when you see that to say, okay, you're just going to authenticate again, right, and log back in. Yeah. Uh, so those kind of attacks are out there. The other one is called the attacker in the middle or adversary in the middle attack, which is kind of like a man in the middle, but it's uh, basically what they do is they build malicious infrastructure that then lets you connect and log in and shows you what you should be connecting to and logging into. But when they receive the tokens, they make a copy of them Uh and then they steal them and they can log in with whatever service it was. This will bypass uh, a lot of the multi-factor authentication protocols out there, like the, Mm. uh, the SMS code or any of the codes that you have to enter because you'll be looking at the actual web page. Um, when, when this thing loads and when you have to enter a code that's either texted to you or generated by a, uh, by a program or a little piece of hardware that you have, uh, there's nothing in that process that says you're not on the right web page, hmm. right? You, you don't, you're not looking at who you think you're looking at or you're not using the correct service or there's some, somebody in the middle that's, that's being malicious. Uh, one of the things that Microsoft recommends here is using 
a FIDO Alliance uh, authentication method mm. because that will protect against this because the people, the FIDO device will only respond using the connection information for the people asking or for the service asking for the authentication, which will not be the legitimate service behind the, uh, the, the attacker in the middle of the malicious infrastructure. I see. So when it goes to it, what it does, and it, my reading is old on this and I haven't read this up. I'm doing this all from memory, uh-huh. but what it does is it uses that, that server name, that URL or whatever it is as a part of a, a, a private key along with a secret that it generates on the fly. Okay. And then it does a challenge response using that private key. Well, if Microsoft is saying, hey, I'm Microsoft, take Microsoft and your secret and add it together and give me the uh, the challenge response for this number. And then Bob's Evil Infrastructure says, hey, I'm Bob's Evil Infrastructure. Give me the challenge response. Your, your, your challenge response is not going to be correct for Microsoft. It's going to be correct for Bob's Evil Infrastructure. I see. Um, and Microsoft will go, no, you didn't authenticate. So that's how, and and that's a terrible way to explain how FIDO, <laughs> FIDO protects you against that. But suffice it to say, uh, a FIDO key like a YubiKey or a Google Titan will protect you against this kind of attack. <laughs> All right. But it will not protect you against logging in and having somebody exfiltrate your keys from your web browser. Yeah. So if you log into Google, put your uh, Google Titan in there, push the button and get the session key and somebody steals that, if, if Google's not checking for that kind of thing, which they might be, I don't know, uh, then they have stolen your session and they can do whatever they want as you. All right. Now, unfortunately, Google, whenever you need to do anything significant, they um, they do ask for your password again. Yeah. Uh, but these guys don't even need to know your password, username, password, or your multi-factor authentication stuff. They just need to get the session. All right. Well, once again, this is uh, over on eSecurity Planet, uh, article by Jeff Goldman. Microsoft warns of surge in token theft bypassing MFA. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is me, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show is written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. And I'm Trey Hester, filling in for Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you back here tomorrow.
And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 